All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the set. We appreciate your followership and your viewership. Uh, make sure that wherever you're watching us from, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or IG, that you like, follow, subscribe, comment, share, uh, so that you don't miss anything that's going on here on the set of Studio B. And remember, wherever you access your podcast from, Spotify, Apple Music, Google, Pandora, you can find Studio B on those same platforms as well. Uh, so everybody, we have a very, 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 very special guest in the house today. I have Pastor Charles Anderson, a uh, good friend of mine, good friend of the ministry, doing some phenomenal work. Uh, Pastor Anderson is the director of program and housing for the Crosswalk Centers, mm -hmm. and he's also the dean at Toomey, which is the Urban Ministry Institute. Uh, some exciting things are going to be coming down the pike of that as well. Uh, but Pastor Anderson, thank you so very much for joining us here on the set of Studio B, man. How you doing today? Man, I'm I'm blessed, blessed. I appreciate you giving me the invitation. You know, whenever you're passionate about any subject, whenever you get the opportunity to talk about that subject, it just makes your heart pitter patter. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I've been I've been up half the night <laughs> waiting on my opportunity to let everybody know. Uh, so, so I'm excited. Thank you so much. Well, Charles Anderson is, and I'm not going to go through this entire resume, but he is a native of Alexandria, Louisiana. Uh, he is a Army veteran of 10 years, and he has spent, he's been a pastor uh, of several different churches. God has had his hand on him for quite some time. Um, but what we're talking about today is that you've been heavily involved in prison ministry for quite some time. And everybody uh, behind the scenes, whoever's watching, let me tell you how this conversation kind of came about. Um, this brother is really, really deeply entrenched in prison ministry here in the state of Texas. And he recently just received an accommodation from Governor Greg Abbott um, from all of your um, work inside of the prisons here in Texas. So congratulations to that. Thank you so much. And you've been doing this for quite some time. Yes. And we got into a conversation off camera, man, that really opened up my eyes. And so I wanted to bring it to the people here on Studio B because I know that this is a situation uh, that everybody, maybe not everybody, but a majority of people can directly relate to. And this is talking about reentry, uh, prisons, uh, prison system, prison reform, and all of the things that kind of mm -hmm. go along with it. Especially in the culture that we're in right now, you're hearing prison reform all over the world, and it's just a hot topic right now. And what better person to talk about this kind of stuff than Pastor Charles Anderson? Mm. So let me tell you, tell us a little bit about yourself, man, and how you got into this particular form of prison ministry. So what ended up happening in my life is I was in the military and uh, accustomed to wearing a uniform every day. And when I got out of the military, uh, I started working for the Missouri Department of Criminal Justice, uh, another job where I could be wearing a uniform every day. So I liked that, and it was in the security field. And so I started working for them, but a strange thing happened while I was working for them. I'm spending a lot of time with a lot of men uh, that are incarcerating and realizing that these are folks from my Neighborhood. These are folk that I grew up with. It, these are folk that had not been for the grace of God. There I would be. And so I'm spending all of this time with them. And then God just began to put a burning in my heart uh, to just begin to minister to them. So this started off with me just ministering to men on the work site uh, in, that were incarcerated. But something strange happened after that, and, and I, I'm just shortening a long story because I end up uh, moving here to Texas. I end up working for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and the same thing happened. But something happened. After spending years ministering to men, I kept seeing men go home and come back. Mm. Kept seeing men go home and come back, and which is frustrating because I've talked to you for years. We've had a plan of what you're going to do to go back. I know that you've accepted Christ in your life. You're ready for the world. Why are you back in the penitentiary? And so uh, I would sit down and talk to them, and they would say, hey, uh, uh, then I was just Big A. Uh, hey, Big A or Sergeant A, they was like, hey, there's no support out there for us. Uh, uh, I, I get out there, and the Texas Department of Criminal Justice expects me to start my whole life, regardless of how long I was incarcerated, with $100 mm -hmm. and a good luck. And so uh, uh, while I was still working for them, uh, uh, I started my first halfway house. 
uh, uh, in Channel View, Texas, a uh, 20-man halfway house. And I promise you, I was living on site uh, uh, and still working for TDCJ, and God gave me a Ph.D. in how to do reentry in those first couple of years of living on site, living with the guys, and dealing with the things that they uh, have to endure every day when it comes to reentry. And so that's kind of how I ended up in this space. And, and, and so I ended up getting sick. I went into heart failure. And when I went into heart failure, I watched my business crumble because mm. uh, I wasn't there. Uh, and so as I was restarting my business, that's when I got connected with the Crosswalk Center by uh, a, one of my mentors, Ricky Bradshaw. Uh, um, Shout out to Ricky Bradshaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so they came to Ricky and said, "Hey, uh, uh, we want to get in this field of reentry, uh, uh, and we know that you do a lot of prison work. Can you kind of help guide us through this?" And Ricky said, "I'm not the person that you need to talk to. Charles Anderson is the person that you need to talk to." And so, I moved into their building uh, just to leave space to restart my business. And after about a year of that. Um, I was approached by their board and said, hey, uh, we want to do one or two things. Either we'll help you grow your brand or you could join our team and head that department. And so I chose to join that team and head the program and housing department uh, because it gives me an opportunity to do what God has called me to do, and that's minister to men that are coming out of incarceration. So, so, uh, so Pastor Anderson, let, let, let's kind of dive into the deeps and, yeah. and kind of take this methodically. Um, when you're talking about prison, when you're talking about release, uh, when you're talking about inmates, when you're talking about the penitentiary, you know, the, all of those have stigmas attached to them, halfway houses mm -hmm. and all of these other things. Right. And so when I'm talking about the prison system and you see that term kind of in a broad space, mm -hmm. what is this prison system? What is the prison system? So in the United States, uh, we incarcerate or have incarcerated at this moment uh, 2.8 million people, men and women and children, are incarcerated in the United States. Right now. Right now. The last statistics was uh, May of this year, 24th. I got to report 2.8 million men and women and children incarcerated. And included in that system is those in the penitentiaries, state jails, juvenile facilities, uh, uh, federal facilities, uh, uh, those that are civil committed, uh, and I'm sure you're going to ask me what that means <laughs> as we go forth, uh, those that are right now in, uh, 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 in, in the county jails waiting for trial. Uh, within all those numbers right now, 2.8 million men and women. Now watch this. The United States is the largest incarcerator mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. Texas is the largest incarcerator in the United States. Harris County is the largest incarcerator in Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, every year from 13 to 16,000 men and women are paroled in Harris County. At the same time, 13 to 16,000 are sent to the penitentiary in Harris County. Wow. So it's, we're not making any ground. We're just rotating it's uh, just people in and door. out. It's a revolving Amen. door. Amen. So this whole thing about prison system that is getting a whole lot of attention, um, we've talked about it here on the set of Studio B numerous times. Um, and talking about closing some of these gaps that still exist in our land. And the prison system seems to be this big monster that you really can't grab or put your hands around. As you said, you got thirteen to 16,000 going out, you got thirteen to 16,000 going in, so there's literally no leeway being made. So if you're talking about the prison system and where we are right now, what are some of the challenges that you see, because in our conversation, everybody, let me just uh, break this down. When I said that not everybody, but a lot of people can relate to it, um, at least in my family. I love my people. We've had uh, many different conversations about it, but I have uh, some people in my family who've been in that prison system and who have been in that prison system at the level by which we will get ready to talk to. I'm talking years, mm -hmm. uh, stints, mm -hmm. right? Um, they've been in there, you know, five years, 10 years. My uncle was in there 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so when he comes out of that prison system, he has to integrate back into another system. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the challenges that are facing those who have been released from prison, who've done their time, mm-hmm. and now they have to reacclimate back into society? What's some of the challenges that they face? Where there's three major challenges, but before I get to them, let, let, let's paint a picture of what's going on here. First of all, most people that are incarcerated are incarcerated because they don't know how to navigate life. And so they're incarcerated for not being able to navigate life. They go to the penitentiary, and the penitentiary don't teach them how to navigate life. It teaches them how to navigate the penitentiary. No, no, please, please walk here because that's so— <laughs> go, go ahead, because th- th- that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> yeah. So it teaches them how to navigate the penitentiary, and so they make parole or they discharge their sentence, and they are uh, released from the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, but they still don't know how to navigate life. And not only do they not know how to navigate life, they mentally revert back to the age they were when they were incarcerated. And so their last free, if their last free moment was was 20, they could be 60, getting out of the penitentiary, and then they start acting like a 20-year-old. Now, man, Pastor Anderson, now, now per, uh, so a 55-year-old is a 55-year-old in years and maybe even in stature, mm-hmm. but he's literally, when he went in at 16, 17, 18, he's 55, but he has the mentality and operates like an 18-year-old. In freedom. In freedom, mm-hmm. which is... Just phenomenal to think about, and those things we don't really take into account when we release them. But continue on on, the, on these challenges. So continue on with the thing. So 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 then there's three major challenges that they have to deal with, uh, barriers they have to deal with. First of all, is suitable housing. Here's a problem. The problem is the places that will lease or rent to men with felonies are in communities that they don't need to live, mm-hmm. and so you are. After all of these years, and mentally I go back to the age I was when I got incarcerated, and that age might be when I was getting high, that age might be when I was robbing and stealing, you're going to put me back in that same environment Mm. that I left, and it's going to seem familiar to me. So it's not going to be long when struggle comes, if I don't have support, then I'm going right back to that situation, Mm. which, which, which takes me to the second thing is employment. Now, watch this. You're going to take a man that for however many years that he has been incarcerated, which the only thing that he has control over in incarceration is how he lets other people treat him. Mm-hmm. And so they, 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 they have a big bond of respect. Everything is, I'm not going to let this person disrespect me. You're not going to disrespect me. So you take that man that's been incarcerated for 20 years, and all he has is that, his respect. You get out, he has no work history. He does not know how to uh, 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 package himself, how to how to, to sell himself. And so he's relegated to taking a, a, a job at a, a fast food restaurant. And so he goes to that fast food restaurant and he's bombarded by a supervisor and everybody around him that's a teenager that's just disrespectful. Mm. And so now he's in a situation that every day he feels like if this gentleman says one more thing to me, I'm going to do what I know how to do, and that's put my hands on them. But I'm not trying to go back to the penitentiary. And so because of that, I have the palsy. I'm just stuck. I don't understand the rhythm of this world. I understand the rhythm of the penitentiary, but I'm not in the penitentiary. And so I don't know how to make a decision because I don't know if that's a decision that's made from my mentality that was in the prison or a mentality that's wrong for society. So now I'm somewhere in the middle in limbo, and, and I don't know what to do. And that's why we watch old movies or we see people and you see them go right back to the penitentiary mm-hmm. is because that's familiar to them. They don't know how to, to navigate life out here. And, and if they don't have those three things, the third thing is community. So stable housing, a job with a living wage uh, and community. Uh, if they, those are the, the top three things that they need to, to reintegrate. But here's the problem. The problem is sometimes uh, they reintegrate uh, with family and family don't have a clue now, walk of with what this, they've been this, through. This is what hit, this is what hit Pastor Holman, okay, because, you know, they've been gone for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever length of time it is, and the family wants to surround that person would love, with respect, welcome them back into the family and love them as much as they possibly can. 
and we don't understand on the outside the whole mentality of what's going on inside of their head because they've been incarcerated for so long. Mm -hmm. And so we wind up getting frustrated with the process and ask ourselves the question, well, you just got out. Why are you going? Why are you doing these things to go back in? So explain that whole thing about the community aspect. And when I make that call to mama, when I make that call to my wife, to my husband, whoever it may be, and what's the best answer that that person can give that inmate that's getting ready to come out? The, the, the best thing that that person can do for that inmate getting ready to go out, if they've been incarcerated for any length of time, is let them go to a halfway house. Wow. So not let them come home. Not let them come home. I, I know that that sounds harsh, but here's the problem. Uh, while they were incarcerated, uh, if they've been there over five years, I think they've been institutionalized. Brooks ain't no bug. It's just... Just institutionalized. Institutionalized my ass. The man's been in here 50 years, Hayward. 50 years. This is all he knows. In here, he's an important man. He's an educated man. Outside, he's nothing. Just a used-up con with arthritis in both hands. Probably couldn't get a library card if you tried. You know what I'm trying to say? Fred, I do believe you're talking out of your ass. You believe whatever you want, Floyd. But I'm telling you, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. And institutionalization just means that you've been programmed to accept a certain cultural rule of way of doing things. So you think about the penitentiary is able to control vast numbers of men with small staff. The only way that you can control that many men with small staff is that you play this mental game, not a physical game. There's no way that you can control that many men physically. So you have to control them mentally. And so to control them mentally, you do things that keep them off a little bit. You wake them up at 3.30 in the morning and feed them breakfast. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you feed them lunch by 10. Uh, uh, you feed them dinner by 4. Uh, so they're never on any kind of kind of shift. You make them cut the lights off at 10 uh, at night. Uh, TV, everything. It goes dark, it's quiet, lights out, that's it. Lock the place down at that, that time. You tell them uh, when to go to work, when to come back. You tell them when to go to the gym, when to come back. You tell them when they can watch TV, when they can't watch TV. You tell them when they can go to the bathroom, when they can't, when they can go to the shower, how many showers they can take. Everything in their life you control. You tell them what to eat. You don't give them no whole lot of choices. They don't have no choice unless they're doing some commissary, and that's food that's not good for them because that food is full of starch, which is going to clog up their arteries over years. And so you tell them uh, uh, what to eat, and you only give them a couple of choices. Mm. Uh, uh, and so you think about this. Here's a frustration that I, that I have in, in one of my facilities. My new facility where guys come in when they first get in, uh, guys get frustrated because uh, guys come there and they won't wash dishes. And I have to sit them all down, and I had to do this this Wednesday. I had to sit all of my guys down, and I had to say, look, let's look at this from a psychological standpoint. This guy just did 30 years. For 30 years, what he did is grab the tray, got in the line. They put food on the tray. He sat down and ate the food. He got up and put it in a hole, and he walked away. Mm. So he gets out, comes to the halfway house. He gets a plate. He gets food put on the plate. He eats the food, and he puts his plate in the sink, and he walks away. And you frustrated because you're saying he won't clean up after himself. But he's been institutionalized that the only dealings that he should have with that plate is to make sure that it gets in the hole or in the sink. Wow. That's a byproduct of, 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 of institutionalizations. And those are the type of things that we don't understand as family members when our family comes out that they have been preconditioned to do things a certain way. That's why if I got up at 3 o'clock for 30 <laughs> years and started my day, guess what? I don't need no alarm clock. Yeah. I don't need nobody to shake me. I, at 3 o'clock, I'm up. And I'm used to going eat breakfast. So now I'm at your house. 
It's three o'clock. I love you. You done been real good to me. Yeah, you got yeah. a whole room set up for me. Man, you got a king size bed set up for me. I got a dress. I got stuff I ain't never had. You got me a flat screen TV. Uh, 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 you might even have a little refrigerator in there so I can have some water at night. You got everything. You done bought me new tennis shoes and clothes and all this kind of stuff. And it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm up, up and I'm ready to go eat breakfast. And I'm 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 terrified because if I go eat breakfast and start cooking at three in the morning, everybody in the house sleep, and I'm gonna start waking folk up. And so one or two things happen: either I sit in my room, just stuck, awake, rocking, shaking, just thinking, don't know what to do, or I I go and I start cooking because I'm hungry, and then the rest of the house. It's like, man, you got to do something with your loved one, man. Yeah, what, what, yeah. What's going on with him? We, could, You know, I got to work in the morning. I need my sleep. We didn't get to bed until 12. And this 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 brother up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, uh, what can we do? And so because you don't understand that the Texas Department of Criminal Justice woke him up at 3 o'clock in the morning for 30 years. Wow. Started started his his life off. He he was ready to go to work and do things. Then 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 that that's frustrating. And here's the thing: the other thing is that the Texas Department of Criminal Justice has taught him is not to confront anybody. So even if he's feeling a certain kind of way, he sees you as family members as the boss. Mm-hmm. And so. He can't articulate or say to you what's really going on with him because, first of all, he don't know what institutionalization is. He don't know why he do what he do. We played the psychological game with him. He don't know that it was being paying, played with him. And then you are frustrated, but he's not going to confront you. He's not going to do anything that might get you to put him out because while he's incarcerated, if he gets to be a problem in a dorm, the way we control him is we just move him out of that environment so he could be in this in this living environment today and tomorrow, I can tell him to go to a different unit. You you didn't call chain. I can tell him to go to a different housing unit. I can send him to a different part, a different situation. I can send him from going living with fifty two people to living with two. I can send him from living with with two people to living by himself for years. Wow. And so he's not gonna be confrontational to you because he does not want you to put him out because you his lifeline. If you put him out, what are he going to do in life? But you're not equipped and, and don't know how to help him reenter society. So when I say the best thing that you can do for him when he gets ready to get out, if, if he's been there any length of time, is, is have him go to a halfway house. But wait a minute, stop. Let's, let's just pause right there. Not just any halfway house. Not just any halfway house. Not, not, not just any halfway house. Because there's a lot of those. Because there's a whole lot of halfway houses. It's a money grab. Come on now. Uh, uh, if you don't pay me by Friday, you're getting put out by Monday, and you don't have a place to live. See, you can't be homeless on parole. If you're homeless on parole, there's a blue one out for you as soon as they find you. And they're not, they're not going to look for you. Because they know eventually homeless, you're going to be stopped by the police. You're going to do something. And when they run your name, blue one's going to come up, send you back to the penitentiary. So now you're homeless running the streets, which is a bad situation. So, so they're not going to look for you. So there's halfway houses that, that, that pry on that. That, 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 that they live from there. there. And, and, and the great thing that the city of Houston has done, even though it was hard uh, two years ago, is they started making halfway houses be licensed mm-hmm. and permitted. And so that means that you have to have a minimal standards. You have to have uh, 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 pest control. Because before, the, the thing that plagued most uh, uh, halfway houses is they were big bug infested. And so guys was getting eaten alive, and the owners weren't doing anything to try to alleviate the problems, telling you to go to Family Dollar and get you a spray, a can of that spray. But, but, but bed bugs is a big issue in Texas. The, the hotel industry fights that daily mm-hmm. because it's such a big issue in Texas. And, so, and bed bugs live in, in, in wood. And what are most beds made of? Yeah. Oh, come on now. And so, what are our box springs made of? And so, so here you are is— you're in this situation, and you just don't know what to do, and your family don't know what to do. So you go to a halfway house. If it's not a halfway house that has programming that is really concerned with helping you reenter society, you're in a bad situation because I'm out. 
I got my little 50 to $100. Uh, uh, I can use that up in a day. Think about that. Think about if you got out of the penitentiary, or not penitentiary, if I took you to Singapore, dropped, gave you 100 of their dollars, said, okay, do life. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a realist. If you drop me off in Singapore with a hundred of their dollars, once I get me a place to stay and something to eat, I'm probably going to be taken advantage of because I don't know nothing. I'm going to be broke. Somebody getting hit upside the head. So I, Because I'm going to survive. Yeah. Saved, unsaved, Christian, whatever. I, I might have been preaching, whatever, but I got to eat. I got to live. And so if I don't get support, then I, I'm, 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 I'm going to revert back to what's easy, comfortable, and what helps me to survive, which all that's going to do is inevitably send me back to the penitentiary. So, Pastor, let me ask you, because you've, you're laying out a case here that uh, many who are watching, including myself, even hearing it, I see this as a uh, bottomless pit. Um, so where is the bridge? Where is the connect? We have those who break the law mm-hmm. and do things against the law and against people that require or bring punishment mm-hmm. and or consequences. Mm-hmm. But clearly what you're saying is that the prison system uh, from jail to county all the way to the actual penitentiary itself is not a rehabilitation center. So when those people go there, they're not being sent there for the purposes of being rehabilitated for the crimes in which they've committed, but they are placed into a system that is working very, very, very well. So where is the bridge? Is this monster so, so big that it cannot be reformed? Because again, the the thing that's on the landscape right now is reform this, reform this, reform this, reform that. And one of the great reforms is uh, what people got their eyes on is the prison system. Mm-hmm. But can it be reformed? Is this system so big, and Texas included, and United States included, and all of that, but is it so big that it can even remotely be reformed? Yeah. So so, so here's the thing. Uh, 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 the vast majority of crime is committed by people without a high school mm-hmm. diploma or GED. Mm-hmm. Vast majority. I mean, there's always those that are out. So, so I think the last numbers I, I looked at, it was about 73% to 74% of all crimes is committed by a person without a high school equivalency. Watch this. But now 74% of people with at least a, uh, a, a degree, agree, which is that associates agree, have no dealings with the criminal justice system. Mm. So just education alone education, yeah. flips that completely, right? Mm. So, but watch this. Education cannot be forced. That's the problem that we had, that they had prior to going to the penitentiary. All of us have the same opportunities out here. And that's the biggest frustration in the African-American churches because most of us come from the hoods that those guys came from, and most of us chose a different choice than they, they choose. So when they when they get ready to need help, we say, man, he get what he deserved because I'm from that same hood, and I didn't decide to rob. I didn't decide to sell drugs. I didn't decide to do that. So you on your own. You got what you deserve, man. Whatsoever a man sow, that's so what he also <laughs> reap. I mean, I, I, I can spit that out to you. So for in our culture, that's how we feel. Mm-hmm. And so... The reality of it is you can't force the person to do what's best for them. You have to educate a person in the benefits of them doing what's best for them. And you have to do that in love. And so the reason why the volunteer uh, 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 are so uh, sought after in the criminal justice system is because you have a person that does not have any dog in this hunt, uh, coming in of their own time and volunteering. And because that person is coming in and volunteering, I know that they care about me probably more than the ones that say that they're my family. Mm. Because the ones that say that my family didn't steer me right. And it might just because they didn't know what right was. That's what they did. But they didn't steer me right. They didn't care. I'm in a penitentiary now, and I don't hear from nobody, nobody calling me because I made that mistake, because I decided that's what I was going to do in life. You know, your girlfriend was with you, and she's saying, man, quit doing this, quit doing this. We can make it. We can make it. We can make it. And and, 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 and you still doing what you want to do because you're a knucklehead. You go to the penitentiary, she's through with you, man. I told you to stop. Mm-hmm. 
I'm going on with life. So you feel abandoned. And here are these volunteers coming in. So to answer your question, can this system, uh, can you be reformed? Yes. But you have to do it from a position of education. So you have to have enough programming out there and educate them on the benefits of them of that program uh, so that they take advantage of it so that they can better themselves. If you try to force them to go to school, if you try to force them to take a trade, they're not going to put their heart in it, and therefore they're not going to benefit from it. And so if they don't benefit from it, then what good was it? Are you doing? Because here's the thing. In the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, there are some great, great programs. Yeah. Man, they've got a furniture store. They got they got mechanic classes where they bring uh, master mechanics in to teach you how to be a mechanic. Uh, they raise cattle. They raise uh, uh, chickens. They raise pigs. They have a water treatment system. They they. I mean, you name it industry-wise. There's a cannery plant. I, I worked at a unit with a cannery plant where they're canning. When you buy something that says Libby on my label, that happened at a cannery plant. There's a cannery plant, so they're getting all those skills. But here's the thing. I've got all those skills, but if no one gives me a shot when I get out because of my felony, what good is all those skills? And then I'm angry because I'm there, and if you treat me less than a human— all I want to do is be a monster. If, if you come to any of the, the facilities that, that, that I operate at Crosswalk Center, uh, one thing I, I have is I will not put a man in a place that I wouldn't live, period. I live good, so all the guys in our facility live good. Why? Because I believe that if you value a person, the vast majority of people will rise to that value. Mm-hmm. But if you don't value me, if you put me somewhere and house me like an animal and treat me like an animal, what am I going to do? I'm going to act like an animal. And then you wonder why the recidivism is so, so high is because we treat them like we're punishing them, not like we're trying to help you find out what it is that you need to do to enter society properly. So, yes, I guess that's a long answer for— No, but I think we need to, I think we need to dive down deeper um, because— you're an educator. I'm an educator. Um, I strongly believe with every fiber of my being that education is the ticket that gets you out of wherever you may mm-hmm. be in life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. I genuinely, from the depths of my being, mm-hmm. believe that the more that you educate yourself, and I'm not even talking about going to college, mm-hmm. Pastor Anderson. I'm just talking about educating yourself. Mm-hmm. And we are living right now in a time to where education is so readily available, literally at your fingertips. And so when we're talking about educating the person in order to rise out of whatever economic condition you may be in, family condition that you may be in, one of the tools that God himself has given us is the opportunity to learn. In all thy getting, get understanding. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that we're able to level the playing field is by education. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to just specifically pinpoint a ethnic group, mm-hmm. um, but when you're looking at the prison system, it is vastly overpopulated by African-Americans. Minorities. And mi- minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that you just said is that those who commit those crimes have um, less than a, a high school or equivalent. Mm-hmm. It is very, very difficult to have conversations like this when we're talking about addressing the problem. And, and here's just just mm-hmm. just just um, just just give me a second here, because this is something that is not only frustrating to me, uh, because I believe we talk to no end with no solutions mm-hmm. involved. Uh, but when we're talking about all of the issues of our day, uh, one of the things that we do not put on the table is the personal accountability. Mm-hmm. OK, the personal accountability. Um, the personal accountability of each person to make his or her own decision in whatever moment of life that you may be in. And whatever that decision is based off of, there are consequences, good, bad, and indifferent, that come along with the choice that we all make in life. Mm-hmm. And so I believe that we need to surround people with these kind of with these kind of examples that can help them to aim higher. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm looking at the prison system, and I and again, this is personal to me because I got I don't mind saying this, man. I got many people in my family that have mm-hmm. unfortunately been in the, 
you know, Texas Department uh, of Justice. I, mm-hmm. Okay, it is what it is. Amen. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking, it's 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 that barrier. It's it's that you know what you can do better. Mm-hmm. But life, inside and out, have reinforced an idea that what I'm doing right now works for me at the moment mm-hmm. and I'm going to continue to do their do it thereof. Mm-hmm. So how do you get this person that has been trained to think a certain way mm-hmm. and try to revert that thinking because obviously that system of thinking is not working. Look mm-hmm. at where it's gotten you. Mm-hmm. But you've been doing it for so long. How do you get that person to revert to something different? Because we're not having the conversations, at least in my mind, Pastor Anderson. We talk about the problems with the prison system. We talk about the problems with all the stuff that we have. But we don't talk about the grassroots solutions of how we can come together and build the bridges. One of the reasons why I have you on this podcast today today, is because you are doing work Mm -hmm. to address the problem. Mm Mm-hmm. You're not talking in generalities. Mm -hmm. You're not just adding fuel to the fire. You actually have programs in place, Mm -hmm. specific programs in place, to address the problem at hand. Mm -hmm. So how do we do this on a big scale? Or is it even possible to do it on a big scale when you're talking about prison reform and those who have been institutionalized? So we're two preachers. And so us being two preachers, Understand that there is no problem that we will encounter that the Bible does not have an answer for. Amen. That's just true, including this problem. The Bible has an answer for it, but here's the, here's the question. Are we as men and women of God willing to do what God says do when it comes to this issue? Tuck between Titus in Hebrew in the Bible, mm. is a little book <laughs> Go ahead, man. called Philemon. Yeah. One chapter. One chapter. Or the Baptist say Philemon. And Philemon, <laughs> so, right? One chapter, and in that one chapter is a playbook on reform. And so, 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 so I'll just take you through just quickly. The first thing Paul says uh, as he is writing this book is he's writing to another man, Philemon, mm-hmm. and saying that, hey, I've got one of your runaway slaves that I met while I was in prison, and he became my son in the faith. Mm-hmm. Watch this. Stop right there. Because to say that he became my son is a step beyond conversion. Yeah. So he, Paul is saying, while he was here with me, I discipled him. I discipled him. him. Okay, so so and the problem with church program right now is we got everybody in the world want to go into the prisons so they can fulfill Matthew seven. When I was in prison, did you? So they want to go in and they want to do conversions and they want to get the number of their conversions, but they're not doing no discipleship. And because you're not doing no discipleship, I'm not changed when I get out because I'm in an incubator. So so and, and then we say, oh. Uh, when they go back to doing crime, or he was just, uh, he was, that was just prison. That was yeah. just jail uh, yeah. salvation. But here's the thing. Paul says, Paul says that he became my son in the faith. So he says, I have discipled him. But he says something powerful. He says, now, now when he left you, he was no use to nobody. Come on, here's somebody. When he got incarcerated, he wasn't no use for society. He wasn't no use for his family. He, wasn't, he was a menace to society. That's why he was incarcerated. So when he left you, he was no use to anybody. But now, mm. because of discipleship, not only is he of use to himself, but he's of great use to me, so much so that I really don't want to send him back. But he'll be great use to you. But watch this. I got to send him back because he has to take responsibility. That's what you and, yeah. you and I talked about, uh, yeah. this whole responsibility thing. At some point, you've got to take responsibility for the decisions that you make. So Paul says in his discipleship that, that, that Onesimus, you need to go back to your master and take responsibility for running off. You need to go yeah, face that. Well, my goodness. Uh, okay. My, my goodness. But what Onesimus <laughs> doesn't know 
that as he's going back to his master, he's armed with a letter from Paul that's telling the master, don't treat him like a master. Hmm. Don't treat him like the conditions that he just came out of. Don't treat him like an inmate. Don't treat him like somebody less in worth anything. I want you to treat him like a brother. Why? Because if you want to talk about rehabilitation, then the Bible is the answer. Because he says that if any man be in Christ, Hmm. he's a new creature. Watch this. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So if he was no good before, because of his encounter, his epiphany with Christ, now he's something brand new if he's been discipled. And so Paul says that he's some use. So I'm going to send you back now. Watch this. But he needs some things when I send him back to you. He needs support. He needs to be accepted into the family of faith as an equal, as a brother, not as a less than. And that's the problem that we make in the church a lot is even when guys that have come from incarceration come into our church, we treat them less than. Not on purpose. We love Christ. We love people. But because we don't know how to deal with them and because we, we don't know what they really need, we precate to them. Uh, 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 we treat them less than. And watch this. Most of the guys that I have ran into that's trying to change in the penitentiary probably knows the Bible better than you ever will. Mm-hmm. They know it from Genesis to the maps. They can quote it up and down in their sleep. But if no one gives them the opportunity to do anything, watch this. I'm in the church. I was a leader in the church in the penitentiary. I was an elder in the church in the penitentiary. I preached in the church in the penitentiary. I discipled in the church on my dorm in the penitentiary. I've led hundreds of men to Christ in the penitentiary. I get out, and you treat me like I'm a novice, like I'm brand new to the faith, like I'm nobody. So you isolate me. You make me feel like uh, I'm nobody. But Paul says, no, you have to welcome them into community. And while you welcome in the community, Paul says, if he makes a mistake, if he accumulates some debt, then charge it to my account. And I promise you that when I get there, if he owe you, I pay. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that some of us have to realize that it's going to cost us something to re-enter somebody into society. And we've got to be willing to pay that cost. Now, if we're not willing to pay that cost, then this, this is just the problem that's going to continue to go. Watch it. There's 5,000 churches in Houston alone. 5,000. That's the churches that, have, have, that are legal. You know how many storefronts oh, yeah, in yeah. your house? Yeah, garages. Uh, garage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody got a call. Everybody, come on now. Everybody got a call. So, so there's 5,000 churches in, the, in, the, in, in, in Houston. Watch this. If every church said, I'm going to adopt... One returning citizen on the way out. That's at least 5,000 of the 13 to 16,000 that's coming back every year that's got support. So let me ask you this. Um, when you're talking about prison ministry. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I've been in... <laughs> Um, you've been in ministry quite a, quite a while. I've been in ministry quite a while. You've mm-hmm. been in longer than I have. Uh, so I've been in now going on 21 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've pastored a church, senior pastor of the mm-hmm. church, and now I'm I'm the executive of the Church of Bethel's family to under our pastor, uh, Walt Target. So we, 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 we know about prison ministry, but prison ministry is not a sexy ministry in the church. It's not. It's not a sexy ministry. Um, the line is not wrapped around the corner of those who want to participate in prison ministry. Um, I just did a conference with a smaller church last week, and man, this powerful statement, some of the greatest truths are wrapped up in the smallest words. Mm-hmm. Um, this young um, man came up to me and said, Pastor oh man, thank you for all that you did. He said, man, we love the Lord. We just don't know what we're doing. Mm. And that statement encapsulates a lot of churches. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, man, we love the Lord, leadership, born again, but we have no idea what we're doing. 
Yes, sir. You know, in establishing ministry and putting structures and systems in place so that ministry can grow, training people. Yes, sir. They love the Lord, mm-hmm. but have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a moniker for a lot of churches, man. They love the Lord. No doubt that they're on their way to heaven. No doubt that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. And I believe, Pastor, that I think that there's a lot of pastors that see the need, um, but they just don't know what they're doing. Yes, sir. And so when I went to Haiti back in 2015, I visited um, the Haitian prison right there in mm-hmm. Port-au-Prince. Um, I still, even when I think about it, even when I was getting prepared for this podcast, I thought about um, and they would only let you go into the open quarters. They wouldn't let you go into the place where Mm -hmm. the actual inmates were going because Mm -hmm. it was too dangerous. Yes, sir. I mean, it was literally like, I don't know, 16, 18, 20 people in like a small cell. They're literally cramped in there like that. The smell, the stench was deafening. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to give the gospel mm-hmm. in 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 all of this. Mm-hmm. Right? They're trying to give hope mm-hmm. when I'm in a cell and this is all the space that I got. When yes, there's sir. literally a pile of human feces mm-hmm. right next to me, they're trying to give the gospel presentation mm-hmm. in that environment. Mm-hmm. And it bewildered me because it seems like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Mm. It seems as, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you about Jesus and Jesus can make it better, but I still smell this feces on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm talking about churches who want to get involved in prison ministry, if you have 5,000 churches that say, hey, we're just going to adopt that one guy. Mm-hmm. Pastor, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say it again. We need education. We need to be able to get this platform so that people understand how to do it. On our talk, man, I, I, said, I said, man, love alone it's not enough. Mm-hmm. You love him. Mm-hmm. You want to see the best for him. Mm-hmm. But, but you, you don't understand why he's up yeah. at 3 o'clock yeah. in the morning. I have no clue. You don't under, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. You should be asleep. <laughs> yes, why are you up at 3 o'clock in the morning clanking pans around? Mm. I don't understand that. And yes, it sir. frustrates me. Yes, sir. And so there's a short circuit in my compassion mm-hmm. because I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So these churches that are doing prison ministry, and many of them have a hard pastor, mm-hmm. but they don't have the education to really do it at an effective level. So how do we do prison ministry in the church, not just from a Matthew 25, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to see about me and all that other good stuff. Mm-hmm. How do we take that scripture off of Matthew 25 and make it practical in the houses of God? Okay, if, you, if, if you're a pastor in a church and in your pastor and in the church there is an onslaught of, uh, of death in that church, you as the pastor of that church know that you've got a lot of people grieving in your church. And you know that the capacity to help those people is not within your wheelhouse by yourself. And so as a good senior pastor, you're going to go seek out an expert in the field of, of, of helping a person. Uh, this is my, my pump going off. Excuse me one second. Helping a person uh, a transition or, or deal with the trauma that's going on in their life. You're going to go and seek out an expert in that field and an expert in that field that probably uh, hold your same belief system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're going to bring that person that's an expert in that field that holds your own belief system into the congregation to educate the congregation on this grief, how to deal with grief, right? So why is it that for medical issues, for hunger issues, for whatever the issue is, we go get experts to come in and teach us how to do it at a high level. But when it comes to this, we don't go seek out the experts to come and teach us how to do it. So what ends up happening is then you take people, and it's it's, it's a, 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 a 
it's, it's a, use, a misuse of resources. God puts so many resources in your hands, and we're supposed to steward those. And so here I am. I happen to be a, a fluent church with great resources. We're going to do prison ministry. And so I empower people to have no clue of what they're doing, yeah, yeah. and they waste major resources. Yeah. And then here's this little, this little ministry that really knows what they're doing. They're an expert at what they're doing. Um, but they can't continue to do what they're doing because they can't find funding to do yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, 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 and so we have to, as the body of Christ, we have to, just like we do in other crises, we need to see this as a crisis. We're talking about 16,000 just in this area. We're talking about 2.8 million men, women, and children in the United States alone. This is a pandemic. We need to seek out from the church, seek out the experts in these fields and have them come to our churches. And while we're doing men's breakfasts, we need to have a man there talking about prison ministry. While we're doing seminars on on parking lot ministry and and, and, and on how to do the best secret services while we're trying to do all that, we need to have somebody that's an expert in that field come in and train us and teach us on how to do effective ministry. Let me give you the case in point. And, and I'll give you the case in point that led to the award I just got, the Governor's Award for institution for the institution. That's in-prison work. Uh, when I came here at the Church of Bethel's family, uh, 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 over a, a series of things, I became the director of prison ministry here. So my mentality of prison ministry is that we're going to adopt a prison. We're going to go into one prison first, and everything that we can do in that prison, we're going to do not just for the offender— but also for the officer. Mm-hmm. So here at the, the Church of Bethel's family, we adopted a unit. If, if the warden needed something, if they need to be fed, uh, we fed the officers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they needed a marriage uh, seminars, we did it. If we offered marriage seminars at our church, I also offered that to the officers and their, and, and their wives that they could come. And, and take that when we whatever we do in our church, we made them a part of that. And so so what ends up happening is we became experts at doing prison ministry at one unit. And when that one unit chaplain and warden saw that the other unit say, hey, mm-hmm. how can we get some of that y'all got at this unit? So then other units start calling us and saying, hey, can y'all come do this? The other units start calling and say, hey, can you come do that here? And so the idea is that we need to concentrate. And if you're a small church, we happen to be a large church, if you're a small church, find two or three other small churches that you can partner with, call for the expert to train you, and then be able to do ministry together. But we have to. We have to begin to deal with this, this, this pandemic. And watch this. It has to start with us. Because God has given us the mandate. As men and women of God, God has given us the mandate to go into the highways and the byways and compel men and women to come in that his house may be filled. And I think that the, that the penitentiary system right now is the modern-day leopard's camp. Mm-hmm. You know. And the problem is when they get out, they're forced to scream unclean, unclean. Because we don't know how to put hands on them. Can I ask you something? Um, Can I ask you something? Because knowing what I know, um, I can, you know, I hate to call it a mantra, but you don't know what you don't know. Yes, sir. You you just simply don't know what you don't know. Um, Most people's, most ministries, prison ministry consists of sending a preacher in, preaching about 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and they have fulfilled their call to prison ministry, and so I don't want to. I don't want to blanket all churches, but I can comfortably say that a lot of churches that are doing prison ministry are doing prison ministry from that aspect. Yes, sir. Okay, so they're preaching, and mm-hmm. you know you got a plethora of preachers, especially your young associates mm-hmm. that are yearning for a time to preach because mm-hmm. they want to get up before the big crowd. Yes, sir. You know the senior pastor go send them to the prison to go preach over there. Okay, so most churches are operating in that space. The problem, and you can testify to this, 
is that there is a plethora of Jesus in the prisons. Yes, sir. Like there's like these brothers know. Yes, sir. They know the word. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there's a lot of preaching in the prison. Mm-hmm. So when you're just sending preachers in to to do these little spot sermons here and there, we're really not addressing the need that will help them to convert or to reintegrate into society. Mm-hmm. We're simply, and I hate to use this, I hate to say it like this, but we are simply patting ourselves on the back for a job well done, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at what's going on in the prisons, uh, let me just speak from my own experience. Um, when I got caught stealing at 13 years old, mm-hmm. I got put in the back of a police car. I got taken down to Derry Ashford. Mm-hmm. And Pastor Anderson, when I heard that door close, <laughs> as God is my witness, when I heard that door close, it did something to me. I still hear it. Mm-hmm. That door closed, and I was only there for an hour because my mom came and got me out. Shout out to my mom. But when I heard that door close, that is the only time I've ever had to do with anything remotely in the prison system. Mm-hmm. I've never been back. Mm-hmm. Ain't even been close. Mm-hmm. To being back. Yes, sir. Because that sound, Mm -hmm. when we go into the prison ministries now, Mm -hmm. when we do financial courses and the such, when you walk in, you got to sign your name, and then clank that Mm -hmm. sound. It is an intimidating place Mm -hmm. to send preachers in. And so when I say the prison ministry is not very sexy, it's not very sexy from that degree. Mm-hmm. So here's my suggestion. And I want you to look right here in the camp. I mm-hmm. think that Crosswalk is doing a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Man, the, the, the conversation that we just had a couple of, a couple of days ago mm-hmm. has enlightened me immensely. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know what you don't know, Pastor. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So to that person, maybe a pastor, maybe a ministry leader, whoever's looking at right now. How can you come alongside of that average person who, who there is a need? Yes, sir. 13, 16,000 people are coming out. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely a need for prison ministry. Mm-hmm. But how would you walk alongside of that person who wants to do it better? Mm-hmm. How would you walk alongside at Crosswalk with the program, specific programs that you guys mm-hmm. got in place to help people reintegrate back into society? What does that look like? Just connect with the experts. You know, just just connect with the experts. Hey, there's no reason for you to have to reinvent the wheel. No reason for you to re- reinvent the wheel. Just connect with us and uh, or with the experts in that field. You can contact us at 2103 North Main Street. Uh, that's where our headquarters is. You can call me. Uh, I happen to be a member of a church with a pastor that don't have a problem with giving his cell phone number. So I'm a minister that don't have a problem with giving my cell phone number. My phone number, personal, 832-651-6035. If you're a pastor or a ministry leader and you want to get in this field and you don't know what to do, give me a call. I will sit down and walk with you from beginning to end, just on the outside. We at Crosswalk are looking right now for what we call adopting churches to adopt our facilities. And so if there's a church that wants to get into prison ministry, instead of us finding a house, and then trying to find a church that's willing to minister to us. We want to find a church that wants to do this ministry, and then we'll find a house mm-hmm. in that community so that you can minister to them. So once again, personal cell phone number, 832-651-6035. I'm going to personally, uh, uh, let me tell you, um, you know, the it, it was uh, Eisenhower that said, that I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I just got to know what button to push. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you adopt that as your life form. Yes, sir. Okay. There are certain people that listen, you surround yourself with people that are skilled in certain areas. You won't lack anything. Yes, sir. You won't lack anything. You just got to know what button to push. Mm-hmm. And everybody, this is the button that you need to push. Uh, Pastor Charles Anderson over at Crosswalk Center um, this is the button to push when you're talking about prison ministry. This is a big beast. Um, I really just want a couple of seconds, man, because I know we talked about it that in the beginning. I know we're approaching the time. But we talked about that there is a shift going on right now in the prison ministry, that women are entering into prisons at an alarming rate. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And 
with all the stuff that's going on in the news right now, yes, sir. women are increasingly becoming more violent. Um, and so I want you to talk about a little bit about, uh, we don't have a lot of time, but I, I want to make sure we get this in there, that you're seeing this this shift going on with more women entering into the prison system. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so so a couple of weeks ago, we had a fundraiser, and the speaker at our fundraiser came in. He is on the task force, the committee in in the Texas uh, a Senate that deals with a prison uh, oversight. And he said to us that the fastest growing number of incarceration in Texas is women. Wow. As as it's coming beginning to come down for men, it's starting to go up for wow. women. And so uh, 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 it, it, at an alarming rate that women are now beginning to be incarcerated. And so uh, uh, things that just women just wouldn't do, now women are doing. And uh, we really, as the body of Christ, we really, as the body of Christ, now in the midst of all that we're doing, we really need to step up and be a part of what God's getting ready to do. Because I personally believe that the next great revival is going to come from the penitentiary. Now, we have the best opportunity in the world has ever seen right now because, because of COVID. Every prison program that was out there before is gone. Every chaplain at every unit has a clean slate. And they're trying to figure out what can I do to bring in programming to my unit that's going to be helpful to the men and women um, that are going to be in my influence. And so right now is the time that you ought to get with somebody, have them come in, train you, and there is wide open opportunity for you to get in there and begin to be the hands and feet of Christ that will help when they come out the next generation uh, of men and women uh, that we're going to deal with uh, coming out of the penitentiary. So, Pastor Charles Anderson, um, to, to all of those who are, are watching, listen, you got somebody in your family, maybe extended family, maybe even beyond, where you've had to deal with this issue. And, you know, the reentry process of somebody that has been incarcerated and now has to reintegrate back into society. And you can attest to some of the frustrations, mm -hmm. um, some of the, you know, why in the world would you do kind of thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, understanding the issues, I believe, is number one in trying to solve them, which is why we keep running around the barn in all of the issues that we face, because first of all, we just don't understand them. Yes, sir. And we're not bringing forth, and again, I sound like a broken record, but I, I just believe this is a biblical, a biblical principle. You have to address the specific issues about the problem and address those. Yes, and not in the large generalities that is clickbait in news media and headlines, but let's talk about these specific issues. We don't, you know, the best way to eat an elephant, as the old African proverb said, is one bite at, at a time. time. So let's take these specific issues, wrap some programs and policies around them, and then begin to take this beast down bit by bit. And brother, you doing this thing, man, and you're doing it in a big way over at Crosswalk Center, man. I have been personally engaged with what you've done at the terror unit. Uh, brother, you are doing some great things, and God definitely has his hand on you. Uh, when somebody's walking in, in their calling, missions is mine. Mm -hmm. uh, you know when people are walking in their so. calling, they can articulate it. They're passionate about it. They know the ins and outs about mm -hmm. it. And so, brother, I want to commend you for what you're doing at Crosswalk. Congratulations again on the Governor's Award. It was well-deserved. Mm -hmm. And I just want to put a stamp of approval on there. Uh, not that you need Pastor Holman's stamp of approval, but let me just tell you, I don't put, you know, the Bible says, don't be too quick to lay your hands on somebody. Mm. Uh, let me tell you, uh, this brother is doing the work. So if you, if you know anybody in your family that's coming out, that has been out, they're going through that revolving door, going back in and out, man, there's certain things that we all need to know that would benefit not just us, mm -hmm. but our loved ones, our friends, our families, 
that are trying to get their feet back established. Yes, so, brother, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, man, for coming on here on the set of Studio B. Uh, this information has been absolutely valuable. Mm. But I want you to do one last time, look into that camera. I know they can push rewind, but I want you to give that impassionate plea one last time about what you're doing at Crosswalk Center for anybody who may be watching. Yeah, so if, if we're at Crosswalk Center is just trying to help men and women reintegrate into society. Our address is 2103 North Main Street. My personal cell phone number is 832-651-6035. Starting next month, uh, I am starting a radio show on 100.7 The Word that's called The Odysseus Show that is going to uh, deal with uh, re-entry topics every week. It'll be on Thursdays from 5.30 to 6 o'clock uh, p.m. Uh, anything I can do, give me a call. I'll help you uh, if you're trying to navigate these waters. Uh, Pastor Holman, I thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, you're, I, I'm, anytime you need me, you know I'm at, I'm at your disposal. I'll come because there's just, there's just so many nuances of this uh, that we could have talked about uh, that, that could have been an hour in themselves. And so, so, so hey, anytime. Um, everybody, thank you so very much for joining us here on the Status Studio B, man. We greatly appreciate your viewership and your followership. Uh, remember, everybody, we're quickly approaching 5,000 subscribers. We're trying to get to 10 by the end of the summer. We need you to like, follow, subscribe, comment, share this. Uh, go to wherever you get your podcast. And make sure that you download Studio B on that podcast plat uh, platform. Listen, we talk about the issues that are applicable to Main Street people, and then we apply them to a biblical standard to help you navigate this life and navigate this life effectively. I believe John chapter number 10, when Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. But you can't walk through life by yourself. You need good people around you to fill the spaces that you're not familiar with. Please hear my heart. Surround yourself with people that know what you don't know, and you'll never lack anything. If you're the smartest person in the room, smartest person of all your friends, find some new friends. Pastor Charles Anderson, Crosswalk Center, um, and I got, I'm just going to put a little snip in there. We're working on something. Y'all pray. Um, he's also the dean of the Urban Institute. Say that. Uh, to, urban, me. to me, the Urban Ministry Institute. The Urban Ministry Institute. Um, y'all just throw a prayer out there for Toomey and some of the things that we're talking about right now by bringing um, some real, um, some real, some real important biblical classes um, to those who need to be grounded in the Word. But man, again, thank you, brother. God bless you. I pronounce blessings upon you and your mm. marriage, your family, your ministry. God's got some great stuff in store for you. And man, I I, I believe that. Um, I believe this is going to bear some great fruit, brother. Mm, so, um, as Pastor August always says, the best is yet to come. Yes. Uh, God bless you and your wife, man. God bless just surroundings on you and your family, brother. Thank you so, so very much. And everybody out there, man, thank you for joining us. Remember, God loves you. Remember, God has a plan for you. Remember, no matter what you're going through, God is with you every step of the way. We love you and we'll see you next week.